House of Tales by Oka. I I walked down and I it was uh, winter and um, stood uh, in the river here and I saw a kingfisher fly past and I just I just couldn't believe it you know the beauty of of the the grounds that we have here the way the river comes through the gardens you know I knew it was a very special place and actually the river was one of the first things that the children really bonded with I can remember getting into a little boat can you remember and trying to um, navigate the river which was very overgrown not getting very far <laughs> not getting very far <laughs> but uh, yes it's wonderful space down here and we're very lucky every year the water meadows flood and um, one of my earliest memories of here is taking the boats out actually across the meadows and trying to navigate, you know, getting from here all the way across the fields in, in canoes because it was so wet. I was very cross with Daddy because it was very... <laughs> actually, there was a real torrent of water. That's the thing. I mean, there isn't much water now, but when it rains, there's a lot of water. All of this becomes underwater. Yeah. And Daddy had got a new hat and it blew off, didn't it? Blew it? Off. And he lost. And it I think in the we river. all capsized and got so Yeah. Wet. And it was actually So we were all not only in trouble, also soaking wet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it was a good day. We are so lucky to be able to call this our home, but really what makes I think our home special is the fact that, you know, we are a big family and we live very much together and on top of each other and we've been multi-generational my grandparents have lived here with us you know my my sisters-in-law are here everyone's in and out it's a, it's the busiest household i know and definitely wouldn't have it any other way yeah no and i think you know from growing up my my mother and father i mean home is really always having you know it is about the people and then being there when you come home and being ready and welcomed and having uh, a warm agar and food on the table and perhaps a roaring fire in winter. And I think the other important thing for me is that it's not too precious, you know, that everything is comfortable um, and that you in. want to sit down and lived in. And that's what's so great about a traditional English country house is it is practical thing that perhaps a little bit of mud we don't have to worry too much about it <laughs> yeah that's karen and millie hibbert the spirited second and third generations of the hibbert family mixing a love affair with rural living and business to offer guests at their hotel restaurant and spa time a botanical breather away from life's bustle Set in a beautiful, restored, historic manor and farm in the heart of the English Cotswolds, life really doesn't get more quintessentially British than this. We accepted an invitation to visit Time and the Hibberts in their manor house, taking a moment to pause for thought, notice the small things about how the home influences family life, love and work, and time to reflect on how living well is a priceless legacy to be passed down through each generation. 
This is a family story where a passion for the land, food and entertaining merges with a love of nature and conserving the beauty of the land through generations of love for generations to come. This is the Ochre House of Tales podcast and we're on a journey to meet inspirational guests to explore our love affair with living well and how relationships with the home are as unique as the people and their passion. So sit back, relax and feel perfectly at home with our guests, Karen and Millie Hibbert. Hi, Karen and Millie. It's lovely to see you. I understand you've been walking around the grounds a little bit. It couldn't be a better day for that. Have you had a a lovely wander? We have, we have. It's a gorgeous day. Quite hot, but a lovely (laughs) day. (laughs) I love that it's such a family affair. I understand that your father was quite involved. Mm. And I think that that kind of respect of the heritage, you're kind of respecting generations previously as well. So it's sort of a family affair for your family, but you're also thinking of respecting the people that have passed through that before. How was that in terms of how your father was involved in the kind of initial stages of mm. the sort of restoration? Well, he, he bought the barns and they were beautiful buildings, but they were completely derelict. They had no useful purpose. They'd lost that. And we managed to buy them really in the nick of time, you know, under the nose of the developer. And then we sort of sat back and thought, oh... <laughs> What are we going to do with them? So I think it was an indulgent project for my father to start with. He was at a stage in life when he had a bit of money and time and he had a passion for old buildings and particularly working buildings. I mean, he was somebody that really respected work, I think, and working things and industry and agriculture. And I think even though when we first, you know, bought them they were in a in a state of complete disrepair they were phenomenal buildings i mean the internal spaces the architecture was mm. was mesmerizing and the idea of of securing that in you know into the future and future generations i think it started off being a little bit altruistic and as i said probably naive because we wanted to keep the internal spaces intact and and mm. and not split them split them mm. up and i think my father also was a master at really keeping it simple he really respected the simplicity and the historic fabric the beautiful beams that had been yeah. used in its construction and not over embellishing and continuing to work mm. with traditional craftspeople you know yeah. you know experts yeah. in their in their trade and, and field yeah we did have a lot of stonemasons and experts in lime plaster and carpenters mm. and all of that sort of thing which which he loved The home of the enchanting family-run business was created by transforming a warren of agricultural outbuildings. Born out of a vision by Karen's father, Michael, the restoration project combined their shared passion for architecture, conservation and design. Every step was slow, considered and a labour of love, not only preserving the past, but more importantly, breathing new life into the magnificent old buildings. 
I mean, to be honest with you, I would never have been brave enough to have done the project on my own. I mean, the, the restoration mm. of the barns was driven by my, my father mm. and he was quite a taskmaster as well. And he sort <laughs> of said, right, I, you know, you're going to do a business in them. And that was really gave me the opportunity to do what I love. And that is really what time is, is everything that I love. And Bertioli, you know, now that mm. is, is what, what we love. Mm. Mm. And that's named after your, your parents, takes its name from yes. Patricia and Michael Bertioli, which is a lovely way of yeah. keeping that thread. It's multi-generational, you know, it's about my parents supporting me, you know, and the grandchildren. And, you know, now they're not with us anymore. I mean, I feel a real responsibility to kind of continue that tradition. I mean, family is, yeah. is everything, I think. And there is, yeah. um, mm. you know, and I feel very lucky, you know, everywhere they all, they all are very different, but they all support each other. They all get on. Most which of the is, time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> most of the time, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in in where the name comes from, actually. So I wonder who came up with that. I came up with the name Thyme because it was a culinary herb and it was the beginning of the slow food movement. The other thing was about taking a little time, slowing down, reconnecting with nature, taking a deep breath, and that is really why we called it Thyme. I mean, you bought it in 2002, right? Yeah. So. I feel like what you've done has become even more how people are thinking. Were you sort of aware that it was going to kind of evolve into something that just feels very timely? I think absolutely not. I mean, I think it was um, a journey of complete naivety. Um, <laughs> you know, we the first part of the restoration, which was between 2002 and 2008, which were of the other buildings, we did some cottages. We actually did an equestrian yard in the Ox Barn. And it was in the Tithe Barn, which was the most difficult building really to know what to do with because it was so protected. That's really where I came up with the idea of a cookery school because it was when everyone was beginning to be interested in where their food came from. And really time, time evolved from that. Now, you know, I would never have been bold enough to have thought that we would end up with something quite as... I think fabulous as we have it would have been too big a vision but we talked as a family and because they had all sort of gone through the years of restoration and development with us of whether they they wanted to take it on to the next level and become involved and mm. my son decided that yes he he would like to take on the ox barn and have a restaurant there and equally, Millie, a little bit later, wanted to come on or agreed to come on and, and, <laughs> and help me with the lifestyle and the, the retail. And that, to be honest, has been the thing that has driven it to the next level. I think having mm. the younger, my children involved, I mean, I absolutely wouldn't have been able to do it without them. They add so much. They bring so much to the table. Well, as we come in here, actually, this is one of the most historic things about the house. It's a... Uh, an archway that is over a thousand years old. It's a Saxon archway, which was, I think, a window at the front of the house. The house was a, just one big hall um, originally. And this was moved when the house was um, renovated in the 1920s, I think. Um, but it is a magnificent thing. And to touch it and know that it's, you know, been there for such a long time and seen so many things. <laughs> Talking about the ox barn, I heard that there is a bottle of whiskey 
Uh, yes. Hidden in the wall. Can you tell yeah. me about that? Um, in the restoration of the ox barn, oh. a bottle of whiskey was found above the arch. And the and the idea is that the stonemason who built the arch has left the bottle of whiskey for the stonemason who takes the arch down. Um, so there is a historic, it was, what, the 1860s the, the, the ox barn yeah, was built? Yeah. Um, so, so a bottle of, of whiskey was, was left behind the, behind the ox head on the front arch. And when you did the the restoration of the of the kitchen in the manor, we did um, the same thing. Dad, Dad's done the same thing. We put and you've put an, a, a beautiful arch in, which opens you know the room up with the with the old pantry. Um, and and Dad's done the same thing. Put a bottle of whiskey up there. Brilliant. Yeah. So um, I hope it's a good a lovely one. Quirk. <laughs> yeah. I hope so too. Actually. <laughs> oh, it's all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so when you were small, was it sort of living amongst, while you restored it, were the kids kind of playing amongst a a sort of rubble or was it? It wasn't absolutely not that, but it did need, I decided I ought to look at the roof. Um, And anyone knows about Cotswold or slate roofs, it's a bad idea. (laughs) Um, So I can remember sort of crawling under the rafters, feeling that I needed to be responsible and looking at this, you know, really quite big house with where you could, if you looked up, you could see daylight coming through. And I phoned up my father and I said, I really think we should have a survey on the roof. And, And my father said to me, darling, don't have a survey on the roof when you're buying a house like that. Save the money. Um, from the survey and spend it on the roof. <laughs> so, so that's what we did. So we didn't have a survey, and actually we moved in. And Tom went into in, into his bedroom, and he woke up in the middle of the night and said, "Mommy, I'm getting wet." <laughs> and so the rain was coming through. So I started to run around with buckets and 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 put it, <laughs> pull the bed aside a bit, stuck a bucket there, and well. off we go. <laughs> And to yeah. be honest with you, actually, we're, you know, we're, we're sitting in the drawing room here and I haven't decorated it. It's the same. I've just put the furniture in it. We are going to do it because I think 20 years later, I think I've, yeah. I'm going to be allowed to decorate it. You know, I, I love English country houses and I love that sort of eclectic mix of beautiful fabrics, patterned fabric, Colfax and Fowler. Yeah. I love that English country house look mm. and, you know, mixing that with actually lots of, you know, old brown furniture, lovely rugs and carpets. That was what, what I loved. And this house sort of did it rather effortlessly, I think. I mean, what we did have to create here was family living space. So it was very much a house that was used to probably having staff and the kitchen wasn't a very nice place to be. So the thing we did do is create a beautiful kitchen, which we had to work with English Heritage to create that space. And we did some building projects right at the beginning to do that and also to update the plumbing and some of the bathrooms. But other than that, you know, it is it is a house that just doesn't really need much doing. It's, a, it's got beautiful architecture, beautiful stonework, beautiful fireplaces. Mm. Mm. And, um, and it's sort of does it itself really I think. Millie do you think have you have you sort of set your personal style very different to your mum's? No not not at all I mean I think our style aligns a lot you know we we rarely disagree on on kind of what what we want to achieve I think probably mum is a little bit more um 
whimsical in her approach. I like more structure and organisation, having a, a mood board and a strategy, whereas mum yeah. just goes in and like pulls paint cards and just sort of goes with it. Um, mm. But I think that also comes from experience. You know, she's, she's done a lot more of it than, than I have. Karen grew up in the countryside with her mother and father, Patricia and Michael, developing a love of nature, food, art and science in equal measure. It's a passion she passed on to her children, growing up immersed in country life, the restoration of the farm buildings and the creation of time. My parents lived in Staffordshire and my father was um, an engineer at Lucas Engineering, which was in Solihull, and he used to commute there. He was head of research and had a brilliant mind. We lived in a little cottage in the middle of the countryside of Staffordshire and he used to come home at night and start to develop this technology. We very much, again, lived the journey of my parents creating this amazing business, Druk, which was an amazing story of the 70s and 80s. He was a leading industrialist making pressure measuring equipment. Right, um, which started in Granny's Laundry. It started in a little, a little, a little laundry at the back of the house, and he always encouraged us to be entrepreneurial and get involved. And I was encouraged to come home, and he created this little company for me called Lilcroft Limited, which made the little plastic domes that screwed onto the top of the pressure transducer. And I used to come home and, in a little sterilised um, cabinet, I used to stick on the domes that then went off to be oh, used brilliant. in, yeah. And that's actually why I did medicine, because medicine was my first career, was through working with the physics department at Nottingham. Do you recall a very kind of free time of being in the countryside when you were growing up? Because obviously you've created this lovely idyllic yeah. rural place. Was that something that you love anyway and is sort of in you from, from a young child? Definitely. I mean, very much actually from my mother. I mean, my mother grew up in a little cottage in Wales. Um, during the war, they were sent to this little cottage to keep them safe. And that's where they grew up with, you know, pigs and chickens and a love of nature mm-hmm. and also particularly a love of gardening and, and botanics. My brother was a very keen botanist and I think probably quite quite eccentric as an eight-year-old had sort of a, a greenhouse full of carnivorous plants and orchids but that was a sort of fascinating thing we used to talk about you know how plants evolved and how they work and so there was a love of the land a love of production and and bringing Mm. it in the majority of our childhood was was spent outside we were so lucky to have all of this space but also it was a, a lot of it was centered around animals Every spring, we'd have orphan lambs in the, in the kitchen, um, <laughs> making their making their home in the dog beds and things like that. They were dogs. <laughs> they used to think they were dogs. <laughs> we used to have lambs that would paddle. Yeah, I remember yeah. taking the lambs to school for a show and tell. Yeah. Took the lambs to school. <laughs> <laughs> they actually quite liked the attention. I think you know they were um, as I said they they did think that they were dogs, so um, they were quite happy to be made a fuss over. I really, really wanted my children to grow up in the country aside and I really wanted them to love nature and love the land and appreciate nature and live that free, wonderful, sort of muddy childhood. And I think that's what you had, isn't it, Millie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're walking through the meadows now, but if we follow this path round, it comes to 
the vegetable gardens. And I always remember, you know, sometimes we used to have meals at home where my mother would proudly proclaim that everything was from home. So it might have been that my brother had shot a rabbit. He was very keen at doing things like that and made a rabbit casserole. Um, but, you know, the potatoes and the chard or whatever was all from the garden. And that was, that was really, um, you know, how I grew up. And I wanted, I wanted my children to have that same experience. Time's award-winning Oxbarn restaurant is famed for its seasonal cuisine. While much of its produce comes from its own garden, the influences on its chef, Karen's son, Charlie Hibbert, can be found even closer to home, with Grandma, Karen's mother, Patricia, who's been a key ingredient in shaping his love of food and the recipes that he still creates today. You love cooking, Charlie loves cooking. So was that something that very much when Charlie was a small boy, would you kind of all be in the kitchen, kind of getting yeah. your hands mucky and, and, and cooking together? Absolutely, definitely. I mean, you know, making our own bread... You know, that was something that my mother always did. And yoghurt. Making yoghurt, yes. I mean, she was mad on yoghurt. Um, but actually now we still make, you know, make yoghurt and sit it on the agar and have big bowls of it. That is what we did, you know, meringue, mm. granny's meringue. And when Charlie talks, if you ask Charlie who his inspirations are, it would always come back to, to mum and granny. Mm. I mean, there are, other, there are a number of other names and <laughs> chefs as well, but it always comes back, yeah. That's a lovely thing, considering he's worked with people like Jeremy Lee at Co Bartley's, that, that granny and mum are like yeah. still kind of yeah. up there. And, We're and, quite good cooks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you said granny's meringue, granny's meringue cake is an absolute staple, and that's what, if it's a birthday party, that's the, that's the recommendation, you yeah. know, covered in seasonal fruits. The Hibbert family's multi-generational approach to safeguarding the ecology of the landscape is a breath of fresh air and it fits perfectly with the natural splendour of the English Cotswolds. And there's been a, this sort of exodus from in the pandemic. A lot of people have left cities. What yeah. do you think are the secrets to sort of joyful English rural life? You know, if you had to, if you suddenly were left marooned on an island somewhere else, what would you really miss about English rural life? I think it's just going back to that connection to the land and the mm. seasons. I mean, it, it is ever-changing and and close observation of nature. You know, I've learned such a lot over the last five years through the study that the British Trust for Ornithology is doing in our water meadows. So it's really the bird life that um, makes these meadows so special. And um, I really only learned about it through somebody called Dr Ollie Fox who is from Oxford University and he is doing a, a survey of the bird, British farmland birds in Oxfordshire and asked to come and survey the meadows here and he starts very early in the morning and I, I, I walked down one morning in late April and I said early May how's your morning been and he was just said I'm, I'm just we've had the most amazing morning we've ringed this morning five different species of reed warbler or warbler and um, all of them are migratory from sub-Saharan Africa they've all just arrived and that absolutely blew me away really because of course I had no idea they were here and I had no idea 
you know, of the importance of this space to these birds, these little birds, the more you learn about them, how incredible nature is. Um, and I just realised how important it was for us to look after this space for them. There's something about time that makes you instantly calm. Although working in a family business is well known for not always being relaxed, especially when the family has an Italian bloodline, and that's a temperament which is somewhat legendary. I'm always fascinated by family businesses because <laughs> yeah. I always wonder how you kind of get a break from it or what happens when there's discord. Everyone hears horror stories of kind of brothers going into business together and, you know, never speaking again a couple of years later. Naturally, I argue with my brother from time to time, but the best thing about it is that you have an argument and five minutes later it's, it's resolved without, you know, anything really happening. And that's how our family operates. We've got uh, an Italian heritage on, on my mum's side, on the Bertioli side. And although we don't speak Italian or, or, or that close to it, you, there's definitely a bit of Italian blood. You know, we, we, we live on top of each other and it's, it's very hectic. There's a lot of shouting around the table, kind of food being, you know, there's a lot of hands and food and, and all of that. That's interesting about the Italian heritage because obviously the Italians are fantastic at family businesses. Their whole, <laughs> um, their whole design industry yeah. is made up of family yeah, businesses. absolutely. When you talk to Italian families about how they do business, a lot of it is around the table with around food. Around the table, so, yeah. It definitely is in our blood somewhere. <laughs> it's it's yeah. deep down. We, you know, you can feel it. And actually in, in Charlie's food and, and, and you know, the, the way that, that mum cooks as well, it's, it's kind of a modern European and there's a lot of Italian and, um, and influence there too. Mm. That just it is, it seems to be sort of, you know, natural. talking of kind of the eclectic mix of, a, of an English country home and, and how much you love that. I wondered, were there any treasured possessions perhaps that have been passed down through your family generations mm. that you're both particularly fond of? Maybe I'll ask you first, Karen. I've got two favourite things, if I'm allowed to have two favourite things. One, actually, it's an incredibly simple thing and it's an elm chopping board. And my father can remember standing with his mother while a man made it for them when he was four so his mother had it my mother had it and now I have it it's a lovely lovely piece of wood and I love the fact that it's been held by all of those generations and it is you know we use it in the kitchen every day and it actually also reflects really my father's you know he loved simple things actually that is probably one of my favorite things and then the other thing I really love is I've got a beautiful tablecloth that well, was a treasured tablecloth of my mother's, which is a hand-embroidered tablecloth with got a lot of lace work on it. So it's not practical to use very often because you have to wash it extremely carefully. But I, I love that. Um, and again, I love it because of remembering the family meals that we had around it with, with my parents. Mm. But that tablecloth... It's something that I would only use on a very special occasion because I know somebody will spill wine on it and <laughs> I have to let that go. But, you know, it reminds me of my mother and, and, and our family um, gatherings around a table. So I think that would be my other favourite mm. thing. Mm. 
Yeah. And and um, Millie, have you got something that you particularly treasure? I think something that will become a, a family treasure is actually mum's wedding dress because my my sister-in-law recently got married in it and it's an absolutely beautiful dress and it's another thing that's transcended not only generations but I guess also families now and I think the fact that you know Poppy wore it was is is perhaps even yeah. more special. It, it was um, wonderful actually and during lockdown you know Tom and Poppy had just Tom had proposed and Poppy had said yes and you know she wanted obviously to go and look in bride's dresses and things and she couldn't so I said well let's get my dress out so we got it out and she tried it on and I'm gonna cry actually because she looked gorgeous in it but she didn't say anything because no. she was so and she sort of all went away and we all thought wow we'd all seen it none of us had said anything and but she, came back, thinking, she came back she came back partly about amazing. three hours later and said I'd like to wear your dress <gasps> wow yeah and she was luckily the same size. Well, she was actually probably, I think, a little bit slimmer than me. But anyway, <laughs> we, we, we took it back to Catherine Walker and uh, they they don't do wedding dresses anymore, but they totally embraced us and loved refitting the dress yeah. for Poppy. And, you know, we went back for several fittings um, and Poppy wore it with the sleeves down, which made it look modern. And actually it's... Do you know what? It looked wonderful. You, we couldn't, I don't think, of even having yeah. a, a, have had anything more lovely. It just came to life, the dress, and it, it, did, yeah. it did look wonderful. She had a new, a different headdress and a new veil and everything, so very much made it her own. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that'll be a family heirloom, yeah. and that's very sustainable as well. I like, yeah, exactly. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Time combines traditional rural charm with contemporary comfort something that several members of the current generation of the Hibbert family have had a hand in creating, and perhaps future ones will have too. So, um, the next generation. Now, clearly, some of your children are married, Karen, and presumably being a grandparent, has that happened yet? Not happened yet, but I've got two on the way. So we've got two granddaughters on the way, we know that. We've got one due on my birthday on the 20th of October. Molly and Charlie are expecting a little girl. And then Tom and Poppy actually on Boxing Day. So that is really exciting. Are you very much wanting to see it carry on in the family or are you of the view that whatever people want to do, they can do, but secretly hoping (laughs) that it'll permeate and they'll carry on i mean do you know what i will absolutely leave it up to them it has to be natural and you have to you have to jump in with with both with both feet i always say to them if you don't want to do it you have to say you know you you absolutely have to say and that would be absolutely fine you know the ambition would be for it to continue um Mm. but if people decided that it wasn't right then i would respect that and I, yeah. I, I think that's really important mm. that it's done because they want to, not because I want to. <laughs> Thank you so much for today. It's been lovely to meet you both. Thank, Thank you for having and, us. And uh, I just you. love how it's a family, a family affair. So thanks so much. No, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. That's it for this, the final episode in Series 1 of the House of Tales podcast by Oka. 
If you've enjoyed this episode and the series, tell us and your friends by leaving a review and five-star rating. And be sure to follow and subscribe to be the first to receive future updates. We hope you've enjoyed this and every episode of the Ogre House of Tales podcast. And if you'd like to continue your love affair with living well, visit ochre.com to discover luxury furniture and inspiring interiors as unique as you. This episode of the Ochre House of Tales podcast was hosted by me, Bethlehem Ryder, and featured Karen and Millie Hibbert. Recording, production and audio post was by Talori with executive producers Mike Wachinski and Mark Baker. Music direction was by Andy Guthrie.